Welcome to Multilingual Montessori, a podcast where we discuss multilingualism, multiculturalism, and raising children from a Montessori perspective. I'm Gabrielle Kutkov, an AMI Montessori guide and TESOL instructor with a master's in child studies, and I'm the founder of Multilingual Montessori. You can find me on Instagram at multilingual.montessori and at multilingualmontessori.org. Today I'm speaking with Jacqueline Menoret, an American living in Paris. Jackie graduated with a master's degree in human rights from the London School of Economics and Political Science. She works in higher education in Paris, coordinating French-speaking study abroad programs. Jackie founded the Immigrant Book Club in 2020, and she is also the co-founder of a new bilingual magazine called Revue Version Originale, available this fall. Jackie grew up in Wisconsin and now lives in Paris with her husband and her cat. In this episode, Jackie talks about learning French with her dad as a child and adolescent, and her experiences studying abroad in France and England. She also talks about the decision to start a book club in Paris focused on reading exclusively immigrant authors, as well as the new literary magazine she co-founded with our mutual friend, Maria Laura Rivadanera, who you may remember from episode 18 of the podcast. Warning, this episode may make you want to drop everything and move to Paris. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Jackie. Hi, Jackie. Welcome to the Multilingual Montessori podcast. I'm so excited that you're here. Well, Gabby, thanks for inviting me today. Um, To get started, I would love to hear about your language experiences growing up. What languages did you grow up speaking and hearing around you? And when did you start learning French? Okay, Um, such an interesting question. Um, So the languages I heard growing up would mostly be Spanish, some Russian, and French. Um, And the first two languages were mostly um, languages that I would hear my friends speak with their parents on the phone. You know, you're having a sleepover, and then your friend has to call their parent to, you know, say something. The pickup time changed. Um, And so I'd mostly hear Spanish or Russian. And then um, I started taking French with my dad. Um, He wanted an activity to kind of have like a father-daughter bonding moment uh, so that when I got older, we'd have something to talk about my whole life. And um, he found um, a friend of his father, a college professor, and um, she taught us French. Um, She was like the quintessential um language teacher like quite a character so funny so petite um, and she just had all these quirks that made learning French so fun wow that's so cool so how long did you do that with her um well I started in middle school with my dad and Diana that was her name um so my dad and Diana and I we'd meet every Sunday afternoon and we'd have this like very French long afternoon, like talking about grammar. And then we move on to like talking about chateaus and French culture. And um, she would just like bring me things in her house to show um, about Paris or France or maps. Um, 
And yeah, so that lasted until I went to university. Um, and whenever I had um, French homework and I needed help, my dad would help me with my French homework, which, um, yeah, now I have like great memories of being a teenager and learning French with my dad and Diana. Oh, that's so cool. So when you went to university, was that the first time you were in a formal French class or did you also take French alongside the lessons with Diana in high school? Yeah, so um, I started taking French. um, I went to public school and so they introduced language courses, um, I think in seventh grade. And so I started taking French in in public uh, school And then I continued in high school and I went to a French immersion summer camp um, when I was like in eighth grade. And um, so that really accelerated my French. And so I was able to skip a level in high school, um, which was really fun. Um, Yeah, I was with the older kids and French because of that summer immersion program, French kind of came easily to me because I had exposure to it at such an early age. Yeah, that's awesome. So when was the first time that you visited France? It was my freshman year of high school. Yeah, um, I have really great memories of that first trip. It was with my family. So my mom, my dad, and my sister. Um, My parents found this apartment it was before Airbnb. I don't know how they found it, but they found this apartment. It was very French, like by the Jardin du Luxembourg. And um, it was so cool. Um, and basically every morning we'd wake up and like do a walk in the in the garden and then we'd go sightseeing and we walked a ton um, all throughout the city of Paris. And um I still remember the street that we stayed on and like whenever I'm having a bad day now that I live in Paris I just walk by it to kind of remember like oh yeah um when you were here in high school you would have never believed that now you live in Paris. Yeah. Oh that's so cool. So when you were in university did you study abroad in Paris or were you somewhere else in France? So when I was in university, I did two study abroad experiences, um, a summer with the American University of Paris. Um, and that summer um, was really impressionable. And then, well, I mean, I loved it so much that I was like, I need to go back to France. And so then I did a year in the south of France in Montpellier, um, which eventually I met my now husband while I was studying abroad that year. Oh, cool. And he is from Montpellier? Um, so he's from the south of France and he was a student, um, like I was. And um, yeah, uh, we met at this wine bar. It doesn't exist anymore. It was so great. Um, you could get wine for a euro, so like a glass of wine for a euro. But I guess our business model didn't really work out well. Um, so yeah, all the students flocked there because I mean it's cheap wine and so we met there and uh, yeah now it's been eight years so wow so then when did you decide to move to Paris were you dating long distance living in the U.S. yeah so um 
After that year abroad in Montpellier, I did another study abroad experience in London. So I did my master's in London at the London School of Economics. And um, I think because of Montpellier, I started thinking about like, I want to live abroad. How can I make this happen? And then I started looking at master's programs in London. Um, and I thought it was so cool um, to do a master's abroad because it gives you this opportunity to be abroad and learn in a different culture. Um, and also it saved a lot of money. Um, so it was quite cool. I was there 2015, 2016. So the year before you. Right. Yeah. The year right before okay. me. Yeah. I got there in September, 2016. Yeah. And while you were in London, did your English change at all? Did you adapt like any British sayings? I think that I started maybe saying like, you know how the intonation when British people ask questions is different. Like we go up yeah. and they go down. I think I started doing that. Um, and then I think I started using a, some expressions that probably are not in mo- my vocabulary anymore, but yeah, I loved that. And, and, you know, getting into the habit of saying my flatmate instead of my roommate, that kind of thing. <laughs> Yeah, some of those things have stayed with me. Um, I can't get it. I can't like shake it off. Um, but I think, yeah, now my English is like a weird mixture of like Wisconsin where I grew up and then French and English, like the UK. So um, it's quite weird, but uh, voila, that's me. <laughs> okay, so that program was, was it a one-year master's? Yes. Um, so it was an accelerated master's program in human rights, um, which was so cool because I was able to meet other students um, from all different countries. And it really opened up like my worldview and um, yeah, how I approached um, living like life in general. Um and um, it was quite rigorous. Like um, the grading system was really different from what I knew in the U.S. Um, because it's basically it's like pass, then merit and distinction. And so uh, it took a while to really understand what that meant, like how to go about getting a merit or a distinction. Um, but it was interesting and it really pushed myself like to think more critically and creatively um, when it came to school assignments. It was just such an incredible experience to be able to meet so many people from everywhere in the world and then also study with like brilliant scholars. And then it just was really inspiring to keep learning and uh, very, uh, I'm very happy that that was like my master's experience, even though it was it was quite quick because it was only one year. One of my favorite things about living in London was taking the train to Paris. <laughs> I mean, I loved living in London, but the Eurostar, that was just, I mean, there's nothing like it in the U.S. taking the train for two hours and being in another country. You know, I just thought that was so magical. Did you go to Paris a lot that year? Yes, at the beginning I did because um, my now husband was living in France, so we would meet up. Um, And then he eventually moved to London while I was there. 
Um, but yeah, the Eurostar is very convenient. Um, it's it's crazy though, like how different Paris and London are, and they're so close um, in distance. Um, really, two different cities and cultures. Um, but it's quite cool that Europe has um, so many different experiences to see. So after that year, did you uh, move to Paris right away? Or what was the what was kind of the post master's life work decision for you? Yeah, so after my master's, um, I moved back to where I grew up for a few months before I moved to Washington, D.C. And I was actually working in international aid. And um, thanks to my French language learning and um, speaking, I was able to work on USAID uh, projects with a government consultant um, for French-speaking countries like Mali, Tunisia, Senegal. Um, So it really set apart my profile from other entry-level professionals like, oh, Jackie can speak French, let's put her on this project or this uh, business proposal. Uh, So it was really cool uh, because when you're writing business proposals for international grants um, from USAID, um, you learn so much about um, the countries in a really short amount of time. So you're learning, it's almost like a little PhD, like that you have to read the proposal and, then you work on a team to put together this whole project, whether it's a water project somewhere in Senegal or maybe counterterrorism in Mali. Um, so it was quite exciting. Wow, cool. And that's awesome that you got to use your French language skills as well. Yeah, you never know how your language can help you um, in a job or even who you'll meet. Um it's really great. Um, I, I've loved that about learning French. Like it just really allows you to branch out in ways that you might not expect. So all this time that you were dating your now husband, were you speaking in French or were you speaking in English or both? Yeah. Um, so when we first started dating, um, we were mostly speaking French. Um, and then when he moved to London and I was already there, then we switched to English and now it's like 50, 50, um, sometimes it's French, sometimes it's English. It depends on my mood (laughs) mostly. Um, or sometimes the, the situation. So for instance, if we're out with friends, we're normally speaking French, unless it's like one of my international friends then we'll switch to English um and if we're with his family obviously French if we're with my family then it's English so we're we're constantly switching um but it's very fun yeah that's great so his level of English is also very good so he's comfortable speaking in English too oh that's awesome yeah 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 it's very cool because um we can be in each other's I guess, like circles and move effortlessly in and out of them together. 
So then when did you make the move to Paris and what do you remember from your first few months in Paris? Um, so I'll set the scene. So I was in Washington, D.C. working for um, like the foreign aid job that I had. Um, and then, um, so J.E., that's my husband's name. His name is Jean-Emmanuel, but so long that everyone calls him J.E., um, so J.E. and I have been talking, okay, how are we going to make this work? And it had been like two years at that point that we were doing long distance and we were like, somebody needs to move. And, um, we really put a lot of thought into it, but I think like the political situation in the U.S., um, Trump was president. And so we were like, okay, um, in the U.S., we're not sure how this is going to go. It's a bit more stable in France. And I already had been to France and lived there before. So, um, yeah, we decided to take a leap of faith and then get married. And then um, and then I moved to France uh, a few months later. Um, and, yeah, um, we, know, we didn't know, like, if moving to France would be for a few years or for our lifetime um but for now we're very happy in France what was the point when you had lived in France longer than you had ever been there before you know like you had studied there but when was it and when did you start feeling like it like you were totally comfortable in the language and and living there only recently I started feeling comfortable in Paris and started calling it my home. Um, I think that the pandemic was, well, it slowed down things. Um, and maybe I would have felt at home sooner if the world was what it was like um, before and the, we skipped over the pandemic. But um, for me, it gave me time and space to think about how I wanted to create Paris home. Um, I noticed, especially after the first lockdown, so many people were so excited to see their friends. And I, I was really excited to see my husband's friends. And of course, they're my friends too, but we do have like some different interests. Like I'm such a bookworm and my husband's friends um like to like be sporty or um go out partying and so I mean I like that too but I just hadn't found my group yet um the bookworms so that was actually when I started thinking about how am I going to meet other international people in Paris and so it was over the pandemic that I started thinking about book club so tell me about the immigrant book club and um, what started that idea, what led you to that idea, and um, and how you went about starting a book club? Yeah, so um, when I moved here, I was really interested about the word immigrant and what it means in English, what it means in French, and um, also with politics at the moment, immigration is a really hot topic. Um all over the world. It seems like all Western democracies are kind of dealing with the same um, types of arguments. And so um, 
for me, since I come from like a human rights background, um, I saw the word immigrant and in English, it can mean such a positive experience. Um, but also there's a lot of baggage that can come with it too. So I started seeing these books that talked about immigration and I was like, what if we form a book club about this? And um, actually it's become like this little network of immigrants <laughs> or like, you know, people that support immigrants or have been immigrants themselves. Um, so it's quite cool because we we met in between the first and the second lockdowns in a park and we were like trying to social distance and um but we were so excited to talk about a book and so um yeah we met and um there were still like restrictions like people were masking and there was kind of I think a curfew in place or something the park closed early but it was a lot of fun and um we were only a group of four um, but we all read the book and like made notes about the book and came prepared for the meeting. And so it just grew little by little every month, um, kind of thinking about themes relating to immigration, like belonging and identity. And then um, we would also talk about our own experiences. And it's really um it's really interesting when we talk about like getting the carte de séjour, like comparing notes. Okay, did you have to do this? Or don't forget to bring this document the next time you go to renew it. Um, a carte de séjour is like a green card. It's a residence permit. So um, it's been really helpful because um, it's created this little network where like we can exchange notes on what to do. Um and also, it's just like a like-minded group of people that are international and and like reading. Yeah, I love that. I can't remember if I've talked about it on this podcast or if it was just a conversation I was having with a friend, but it's so interesting, um, the word expat versus the word immigrant and who gets to be called an expat or who gets that word assigned to them and who is called an immigrant and um, kind of like taking back the narrative or extending the immigrant narrative to be everyone who is living in a different place. Yeah, for me, um, the word expat, um, I was like thinking about that too in, in starting this book club. Um, expat for me means like you're in one spot abroad for a short amount of time, then you go back to your country. Um, and for me, I I didn't approach living in France that way. And also in French, like the word immigrant is more negative than it is in English. And I kind of wanted to reframe what I can um, around the word and like having people around me, like, you know, French speakers, like think about who is an immigrant? Am I an immigrant? Why don't you view me as an immigrant? Is it because I'm white? Is it because I'm privileged? And so kind of starting the discussion around that so that we can kind of reframe um, the arguments and like talk about like also like what immigrants are bringing to the country um, and how how France is just so diverse now. So for me, like it was really important to name it the Immigrant Book Club uh, for those reasons. 
Yeah. I love that. How did you go about spreading the word or finding other people to join the book club? Oh, that's so funny. Um, so I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, I was on bookstagram and I, I would see like other bookstagrammers in Paris. And so I think I found Maria Laura on bookstagram. Um, and so Maria Laura later became, well, she's now co-host with me, which it's really fun. Um, we're able to um, plan the book club discussions together in advance. And it's really helpful having a co-host. Um, plus, she she researches a lot for the book club and um, she brings like really great insight. So it's really great bouncing ideas off of each other. Um, and so when I was recruiting new members, I guess, um, I was on Bookstagram and I made little marketing flyers and put them up at bookstores. Um, and then there were all these Facebook groups for people who just moved to Paris and I'd post in there too. Um, so those were the main ways that I started recruiting people for book club. Oh, that's so cool. So now how many people come to your meetings? Depends. Um, so it can be anywhere from like like a group of eight to a group of 15. And I think like in February, we had an author come and I think we were 30, but we had this little room. Um, so if we're more than 30, I don't know how we'd make it work, but that'd be a very exciting challenge. Yeah, that's so cool. That's such amazing growth. Um, when you were talking about the carte de séjour, um, I was going to ask you, did you already become a French citizen and is there a language test that you have to pass? Um, so I'm not a French citizen yet. Um, it's a project for the future. Um, and so basically there's like different types of residence cards, the carte de séjour, um, there's one for a few years, I think it's three years, and then there's one for 10 years. And if you're looking to get the 10 year one, you need a language exam or a language certificate. Um, I think it's above a B1 level. Um, and for citizenship, I think you need a B1 level as well. If, if you've done your master's in French, then you don't need to take the language certificate exam. Mm. And have you taken one of these language tests and how did it go? Yeah, um, last summer I took the C1 uh, French language exam and it was very long. It's like a five-hour test. Oh my um, gosh. And I, it's, it's really, um, yeah, it, it's interesting to see how much you lose like after not being in school for a while of course I can speak French more fluently now than I could in school but I kind of forgot that academic sense of like writing um writing in French because I write emails in French all day long but it's not the same as like okay we're gonna look at these two texts and we're gonna compare them and then you're gonna make an argument and so um I found myself being like oh what do I do this been, it's been a while since I've done this. And then also um, I noticed that my spelling, my spelling is terrible. Uh, I know how to say something, 
but um, I didn't realize like how much I was relying on my laptop to autocorrect or my phone. And so um, when I had to take a handwritten test and write down like an argument, I was like, oh, I know this word. It's a great word, but I can't use it because I don't know how to spell it. So um, that's noted for the next time I take a language exam to brush up on my spelling. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. I also depend a lot on autocorrect um, for things like the accents, especially like I don't really now I've just stopped remembering like which kind of accent it is on a word because I know that autocorrect will fix that for me. So once once you take the test, like you've taken the C1 test, will those results be good forever? Like if you do eventually get citizenship? Yes, um, I think so. Um or at least for a few years. Um, so I think maybe, yeah, I'd need to look up how long it's good for, but I think it's five years, if not forever, but mm. <laughs> I'm not quite sure. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Um, so was the reason you took the test for your carte de séjour or just to have the certification? Um, a bit of both. Um, so Actually, the last carte de séjour, when I had to apply for my my last residence permit, I was eligible for the 10-year one. And um, there's always one document that you forget. It's kind of a joke. When you go to renew your residence document, there's always one document that you'll forget. Um, and this time, it was because it wasn't on the list. And so I printed out the list. I had everything ready, everything organized uh, for the rendezvous. And then um, they're like, but you need a language exam. And I was like, uh, what are you talking about? <laughs> and um, so then, well, I was able to get uh, renewed like a two or three year carte de séjour. Um, and then now I knew, oh, yeah, I need that language exam. So it was for that. And then also it's great to have on your CV um, to have like um, your level listed there because my name is so French that now I've run into this obstacle of like, oh, your name's so French, you must be French. Oh, but why does it have you're authorized to work in France? This is so weird. And and so it's really funny because my last name, um, before I changed it to Menere, my last name growing up was a Jewish last name, Stein. And so, um, but I I wasn't practicing Jew, like a Jewish person. So I've always had this last name that I guess it does speak to some part of my identity, but it's not everything. So it's really funny to navigate yeah, I have had that experience too. My last name is Russian. Um, my dad's side of the family is Russian Jewish, but the Russian immigration was like in the 1880s, I think. So nobody on that side of the family speaks Russian or is even really culturally Russian. They're just like New England Jew, you know? And yeah, when I am in Europe, especially sometimes in the US, people will ask me about it if they have like an Eastern European heritage. Um, but mostly in Europe, people are like, oh, do you speak Russian? Like they assume a closer connection than I have. And I'm just like, I don't actually really have any personal Russian connection, but my last name is so Russian. So I've run into that issue as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's really funny to navigate. Like um, I didn't expect 
having this question of like, but you're American, like every time I introduce myself to a French person, but it's an easy way to break the ice now. So tell me about your job working in higher education and um, and how much you use French on a daily basis and what challenges you help students navigate in your job. Yeah, so I'm a coordinator for um, a study abroad program in Paris. Um, so I work with Ivy League students, um, typically on French study abroad programs. Um, this summer, we have a program focusing on Afro-Black diaspora in Paris. So um, this one, the summer program now, it's in English, but um, normally my whole job is in French. So um, for the French study abroad programs during the academic year, um, not including the the current program, the summer program, um, I speak 100%, no, I'd say 95% of the time in French. Um, even though I'm American, the students are majority American um, or English speakers. Um, and yeah, we all speak French because it's an immersion program. Um, and um, I think it's, it's really important that we all speak French, even though it can be uncomfortable, it can be messy, because it creates this environment where we're all trying. And um, I think also, well, I'm I'm older than, than the students, and so they can see like, okay, I make mistakes too. It's okay. We're all trying together. Um, and so I think it's encouraging them to to take the chance to just speak up and and sometimes forget about the grammar and try to let it let it flow. Try to be fluent. Um, to speak French because a lot of about learning a language is just daring to speak. Yeah, absolutely. And also they can see that you're an American person living in Paris and um, probably for some of them, that's like a goal that they might, you know, want to pursue in the future. Yeah. um, A lot of students are always asking, how can I get back to France? And so it's really fun to kind of like brainstorm together. Like, what are you interested in? Do you want to do a master's here? Do you want to teach English here for a year? Um, but there's so many different ways to get back to France if they're looking to do that. So what are some of the challenges that you help them navigate during their time in Paris? And do you have any funny stories that you can share? <laughs> Let's see. I would say the big challenge for a student abroad is normally navigating the healthcare system um, because it is so different. And um, like a culture shock I see a lot is that students are really hesitant to um, like call an ambulance or something because they think that it will be an American price, but in Europe it's for free. Um, it's a public service and you know, you're guaranteed the, the right to health and the access to health care. Um, and so a lot of students are like a bit like unsure how to go about making a doctor's appointment or maybe they're not confident enough yet to go see the doctor and speak 
100% in French. So sometimes I go with them. That's normally um, the biggest challenge. Um, something funny is uh, if the students are dating, just a little culture shocks that can come up. Like, oh, who should pay for what? And um, I don't know. It's really funny to hear their impressions about French people if they if they meet French students, you know, out at a bar or if they're at like a university event. Um, or sometimes there's those shots that French people don't come up to them because that's also true. Like Americans normally think that, oh, everyone's going to be just as social as we are in the U.S., but then they come over here and in France, you kind of have your your group from childhood. So it's not the same. I remember in my study abroad program in Bologna, an English doctor, like during our orientation, like the, the English speaking doctor in Bologna, who I think was an American who had lived in Bologna for years, he came and like introduced himself because I guess the program had a liaison with him. And I actually didn't need to go to the doctor during those four months, but it, I remember it being reassuring that like, if I needed to see a doctor, there was somebody I could speak English to because I felt like my Italian was pretty good, but definitely intimidating to have to speak in another language when you're talking about anything related to healthcare and you want to get the information right. And maybe you're like scared or in pain. So that's great that you yeah. can support them in that. Yeah. It's, um, it's really great too, because with technology now they can book a doctor's appointment online. And when I was studying as a student, I had, I would have to call the doctor <laughs> And then the receptionist probably didn't speak any English. So we were like all we were both on the phone, very lost um, and struggling. Um, so at least the students can skip over that now. Yeah. So have you been working for the program for enough years to see your former students come back to Paris and move to Paris? Um, not yet. Um yeah, that would be really exciting when that happens. Um, yeah, so far they just graduated. Um, I started this job about a year and a half ago. So some of the first group that I coordinated with, um, they're not like they're now graduates. And so it will be interesting to see if any of them come back. Um yeah, um, I've seen one student pass by through Paris on a trip, you know, after graduating. Um, and yeah, he was doing well. He's telling me about his new job in New York. Um, so that was cool to hear. Yeah, that's really cool. I bet you will have students the the more the longer that you work there. I bet you'll have um, people who move to France, maybe even Paris. Yeah, I have. I had one student say something funny. Um, it was like during the farewell dinner and she was like, Jacqueline, um, I have something to tell you. And I was like, tell me. And she's like, I didn't find my first husband here. <laughs> she was like, I didn't find my first husband here. Jacqueline, I don't know when I'm coming back to Paris. Oh. <laughs> So now that you've lived in France for a while, what is your level of comfort with language? Well, you told us that you passed the C1 test, so that's a very high level. Um, what, if anything, do you still struggle with in your day-to-day -day life speaking in French? 
I think something I struggle with um, for my French is like confidence. Um, I think like being in a big city, you kind of get used to people being grumpy or like uh, they woke up on the wrong side of the bed. And so I, I feel like sometimes I, I know I can do it, but I'm just like, oh, this is going to be a horrible, like I have this scenario planned out in my head of like how it's going to go horribly. And so for me, it's like the confidence of my French. Like I know I have the vocabulary and I can do it. It's just sometimes I like build up this scenario in my head of like, it's going to go really badly, but then it doesn't. <laughs> and then I'm like, why did, why are you worrying so much? So I guess it's that, like, I think the French, like in learning French, um, you are a perfectionist like they're such a perfectionist with their language because they're so proud of it and um I guess learning that you kind of learn that perfectionism too and so sometimes I'm like oh I'm just gonna screw this up but um yeah I I guess like that's not the case anymore so I just have this like fear that's doesn't really happen anymore but it's still there yeah. Yeah. It's intimidating, especially to think about like socially using the language socially is one thing, but using it in all different types of like business situations and healthcare situations. And that does seem intimidating. Did you interview for your current job in French? Yeah. Um, so I interviewed for my current job in French. Um, actually my job. So before I was working, um, for um, this university, I was working for a study abroad provider. And in that job, I didn't have to speak as much French. So um, in interviewing for my current job, I was really excited about the opportunity to speak more French. And actually, my manager and my boss, they've both been really um, positive and like helping me with my language learning as well. And I've seen my French has gotten so much better and being immersed in it every single day with the students, with the professors, um, with my manager, um, with our host families. So it comes, but yeah, you have to be patient with a language. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think that's reassuring, I hope, to people who are learning a language and feeling frustrated that it does take so long. Like you've lived yeah. in Paris for years and still it's not an overnight process. Like there's always going to be something that you're struggling with, but um, I don't know, it's inspiring like to, to hear about your journey and, and how you are now living in the language fully. Yeah, for sure. Um, It's really, it's really nice to see, um, now in my French language, I guess, um, spot that I am now that, um, family members that like I once had like a limited, um, speaking ability with now it's like very rich and it's really great to see that growth. I think like on both sides, because they're seeing that I'm making, um, making progress and like making a step towards them and like the culture around us and also um they're also 
like I think they're also interested more because like I'm around the family and like my own culture and language so like we're both making steps towards each other and it's really adorable to see do they realize like how I guess it's so easy to forget kind of what somebody's language level was a couple years ago do they remember what your language level was like when you first met them and how much it's improved yeah um actually it's really funny um with one of my sister-in-laws she asked me um what do you like about Joel Manuel when I first met her and I was at this family dinner everyone was seated around the table everyone was looking at me and I was like oh um I love his body yeah I said that's what I said in French and I in in French like body and heart are so close and I meant to say I love his heart like you know <laughs> he has such a big heart <laughs> they just all looked at me like you love his body excuse <laughs> me so like we still laugh about it and it's been like years <laughs> after that but yeah I meant to say I love his heart um but I said well I loved his body <laughs> and so now it's like a joke in the family but I think they remember that and like how the first you know few gatherings it was like a bit quieter and now like um yeah they they know me and and um also I can say more so it's just so cool um, to now feel more comfortable in the language. Yeah. I remember when I first moved to Sicily and I joined a choir of um, like university age students, like all in their early 20s. It was like just a big group of people. And the first couple of times that I met them and hung out with them, I really didn't say much of anything because I was just concentrating so hard on following the conversation and understanding what everybody was saying. And then maybe a month or two later, probably only a month, I started speaking a lot more and they were like, oh, wow, you're actually not quiet. Like we thought you were just really shy. And I was like, no, I'm not shy. I was just trying to understand everyone and under follow, you know, what you were saying. But once I was able to catch up, they were like, oh, look at that. That's your personality. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. It takes a while to start speaking and then like also translating your personality. Yeah. Do you feel um, that your personality is any different when you speak English and when you speak French? Or do you feel like any aspect of you is different in either language? Um, I love speaking French when I'm complaining. I, I don't know. I just feel like the vocabulary is so rich that like, <laughs> oh, you can make like a sassy little phrase in French, like when you're complaining. Um, and I don't know. Um, I think that I'm now at a point where like, um, like my, my personality is translating into French. Um yeah, like we always joke. I have um Jacqueline, my my first name in French is like quite old. And so like now, like because I'm a bookworm and like I do like a quiet night in, like all of my friends and family are like, oh, it's the grandma Jacqueline, like uh, <laughs> the grandma Jacqueline. <laughs> she has to go to bed soon. <laughs> so I think like, yeah, I think it is translating into French, but uh, it took a while. 
Okay, so transitioning back to bookish things, tell me mm-hmm. about your new bilingual literary magazine, Version Originale, and what readers can expect from it. Yeah, so um, with Maria Laura, the co-host of the Immigrant Book Club, we had these conversations after book club, you know, talking about the literary scene in Paris, and we put together that Paris was missing a literary magazine. And so um, we noticed that since since the pandemic, more people are, are reading in general, and also that... Um, yeah, a lot of French people are now reading in English and vice versa, like internationals are reading in French. And so there's just more more of like mixing of languages. And so we took this idea of like, let's create a literary magazine where we blend the two languages together. And for now, it's um, English and French, but our name, Version Originale, it actually comes from the movies because um, in in France they dub films still, and so if you want to see a film in the original language, the version originale, you you pick the the film like VO. But if you want to see it dubbed, then you pick the film VF. And so um, we're now seeing like so many languages spoken in France, and so one day maybe version original can be so many different language uh languages coexisting in this magazine together um but for now we're just going to keep it to english and french um and it's really exciting um we've been sharing the project with authors illustrators and um poets and and they're really thrilled about the the project because um I think Paris is known for the lost generation um and the publishing house that Shakespeare and Company has but um it's cool that now we're kind of creating something new a magazine where you know there can be a French piece and then an English piece um blended together in the same publication yeah, that's awesome. I'm so excited to read it. Um, we'll see. Maybe it'll help me improve my French. My French reading is a bit rusty, but I'm excited to try. Um, how? Who are the authors that you're finding and how are you uh, recruiting them? Um, so some of the authors are authors that I've spoken at book club. Um, some of them are friends. Some of them are um, people on Instagram um, or authors that we admire and we reached out to them. So it's kind of a blend of in between um, established um, writers and artists and emerging writers and artists. So um, yeah, there's such a variety of talents, um, but it's going to be really cool to fuse it all together. Yeah. So um, when is the first issue coming out and where will people be able to get it? Will it be in bookstores? Um, Yeah. So the first issue is out in October. You can now um, pre-order our first issue. Um, Let's see. We have a crowdfunding campaign uh, to pre-order the first issue. And there's also some fun gifts if you're interested in the magazine. Um, and if you'd like to wait until it's out 
you know, published and printed. Um, it will be out, it will definitely be on our website and we're working with bookstores to see where we'll sell them. That's awesome. Well, I've already pre-ordered, of course, and I'll share the link in the episode description. Um, but I can I can just see it like, you know, you walk into Shakespeare and Company and you see it by the cashier, literary magazine. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah that's the dream. Um, yeah, I hope it will happen. Um, and I think what's really cool is to see like more people uh, reading in their second or third languages. So uh, that's kind of our hope with this magazine that people get in their hands, like something that's, you know, both languages and you can just flip from page to page and just, you know, read one, read another and try to try to read in like a, a language about a short piece. Um, so it's really cool. Yeah. Do they um, do the pieces have any specific topic or does is it that everyone has a connection to Paris? Is that kind of what ties them together? So for our first issue, um, we we wanted to kind of piece it back to book club and um, in reading so much immigrant literature. uh, We always come back to the topic of home. Where is home? what is the meaning of home? Who creates a home? And so our very first issue will be about home. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how different uh, creatives answer that question. Or maybe they won't answer that question. It's really complex, but seeing how they kind of play with it. Um, because home can mean so many different meanings. And um, I think in a contemporary context, home is always changing. And so it would be quite cool to read that. So speaking of home, when you think about your having, you know, you've had a home in many different places, what advice would you give to somebody who is thinking about moving to another country? Uh, What would you say if they're embarking on that or if they're thinking of embarking on that journey? Yeah. Um, well, if you're thinking about it, I'm thrilled for you because um, it's been an amazing experience for me. Um, it's definitely complicated, but you will grow through it. And um, I I think it's, it's such a beautiful journey. Um, let's see, on the practical side, um, there, were, there will be lots of bureaucracy. So... Uh, get ready to have lots of backup documents, you know, print the certificate two or three times. Um, You might have to argue your way um, past a certain procedure um, in a nice way, of course. Um, And then it does take a while to make friends, but that's okay. Um, I think if you're thinking about moving abroad, it's really helpful to have a strong sense of your hobbies so that you, you can kind of then um, reach out to communities that also are created around those hobbies or interests. Um, and yeah, for me, um, it's been really great to move abroad. Um, it's definitely changed me. It's made me a bit more relaxed. Um, less goal centered, um, and yeah, more content with the present. So, 
I love that. Do you think that's um, just French culture that has kind of led you to that? Yeah, I'm noticing that in France, like there really is a time, a timeline for everything, especially since like even your adult life is like really structured around the academic school year. Um, like in August, it's vacation time. And so nobody really works in August and it gives us all a month to kind of like relax. Or even if you are working, if you are one of the people in the office in August, you're still kind of chilling. <laughs> you're not working your hardest then. Um, and I think, yeah, everything has a time, um, like a timeline in France. It's a, it's a bit slower um, and that's okay. Um, at first I was really annoyed by all these like slow processes. I was like, oh, but it could be so much more efficient. And now I've kind of accepted it and it's okay that it's slow. Yeah. Yeah. It's a whole like mindset shift. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I, I experienced that when I moved to Sicily in, it was already October, but it was still summer weather and the whole like napping in the middle of the day and ev everything closing from one to four took me a little adjustment but then I was like wow this is great like why doesn't everybody yeah. just relax in the middle of the day when it's hot and you don't want to go anywhere yeah yeah for sure I think um my whole approach towards rest has kind of changed as well like um I think that yeah I've been making more conscious efforts to um actually take the time to rest um to avoid burnout and like yeah I think it's really important and it's been a great life lesson after living in, in yeah so my last question for you is about Paris if somebody's visiting Paris what are your favorite literary spots or just your favorite spots in Paris that you tell people to visit when they're in town Oh, that's a great question. Well, definitely Shakespeare and Company. Um, but you're going to have to wait in line. Um, everyone loves to go there. And so um, it's it's worth the wait. Um, and they have some great books inside. I get in trouble for taking a picture of the cat the last time I was there. Oh, really? <laughs> no pictures. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, they are quite strict about that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there's great bookstores in Paris, like the Abbey, the Abbey Bookshop. It's it's close to Shakespeare and Company. It's really hidden, and um, it's kind of like a treasure hunt. They have so many books. It's just like a small space, like crowded with books, but um, it's kind of like what you would expect, like literary Paris to be like. Um, yeah, you could. I I think that um it's also great to kind of like pretend you're like a lost generation writer and just go spend some time like sitting in a cafe watching people um or having like a glass of wine um maybe writing something maybe not um but that's also a fun moment to have um you, you could go to Le Select it's near Montparnasse and James Baldwin wrote most of uh, Giovanni's room there. 
Um, so that's really great to visit. There's so many great bookstores. You can't go wrong. Um, the city is filled with amazing bookstores. Yeah. Oh, makes me want to go back to Paris. Well, we've covered so much. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about or wanted to say before we wrap up? I think like, um, I'm imagining that like a lot of Montessori parents um, are kind of wondering like what learning a language with their child might be like, or maybe they're, you know, transferring, like helping their child learn one of the languages that they speak, but ah, it's going to provide such an incredible bond between you and your child the whole, like throughout their whole life. And I'm just really grateful that my dad like opened up the world um, in learning French with me uh, because I would have never come to France if I hadn't learned French with him. So it's such a treasure. Yeah, that's so special. Do you still ever speak French with your dad? Yeah, I write, um, I write um, postcards to my dad, like happy birthday, dad, um, joyeux anniversaire, dad, um, in French. And it's really funny whenever I send a gift home and my mom sees the, the card, she's like, oh, Dave, it's in French. <laughs> she can't read it. So it's kind of like a little <laughs> secret language. Oh, I love that. That's so sweet. Um, yeah, I'm I'm glad you pointed that out. It is really special that you, you know, you had this relationship with French and with your dad as a child and adolescent, and now it's continued and kind of influenced the direction of your life, but also stays like a bond that you have with your dad as an adult. Yeah, my dad is reading more French books than me now. Um, so it's like this connection that we have and, um, it's really great that he's kept it up because like, it allows him to understand more of my life, um, because he has these like references to French culture. Yeah, that's so cool. Uh, well, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. I can't wait to read Version Originale. And I will link to the crowdfunding campaign and where people can pre-order it. Um, and yeah, thanks for thanks for sharing everything today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Gabby. Thank you again to Jackie for joining me for this conversation. You can find the link to pre-order Revue Version Originale in the episode description, as well as the link to my interview with Maria Laura Ribadanera, our mutual friend and co-founder of the magazine, who is multilingual, she speaks four languages, and also lives in Paris. You can follow Jackie on Instagram at Jacqueline Reads Paris. You can follow Maria Laura on Instagram at My Paris Bookshelf. And you can follow their new bilingual magazine on Instagram at Revue Version Originale. You can find me on Instagram at multilingual.montessori and on my website at multilingualmontessori.org. You can find links to everything in the episode description. Make sure you're subscribed to the Multilingual Montessori podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you're listening right now. And if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating and review on whatever app you're listening through. It helps more people find the show, and I really do read every single one. 
Another wonderful way to support the podcast is to share it with someone who you think would enjoy it as well. The podcast will be taking a break for the month of August, and I'll be back with new episodes in September. Thanks again for listening, and see you in the fall.